How many of you, when you were little, watching a superhero like Superman on TV or reading a comic, and you thought to yourself, hey, I could do that. I want to be just like him. So you went and you got a sheet and you tied it around your neck and you went out and tried to defy gravity. How'd that work out for you? Well, you're still here, so not too bad. Anybody do that or am I the only one that did that? Yeah, yeah. Well, this morning I'm going to start off by showing you a clip of a, a few people who still haven't grown out of that way of thinking, okay? And I want to tell our young kids in here, kids, don't try this at home, okay? Let's check out this clip. if I can make sense of that foolishness, but I'm going to give you a little something from the scriptures. Uh, If you've learned one thing this morning already, don't try to dunk in a suit and uh, dress shoes. That's one thing. Uh, That's pretty crazy, isn't it? And I think most of the people in this clip truly thought that they were going to pull off some incredible feat. I really do. I think most of them thought they were going to be successful in risking life and limb. And what we learned from this clip is only one was, right? Call them fearless. Call them misguided. Call them stupid. Call them foolish. You can call them whatever you want, but I think the one thing we can't call any of them is wise. Am I right? I love the fact, too, that you have uh, I Believe I Can Fly playing in the background while each of them find out they can't. And uh, so... Attempting to do what they did, defy gravity, or in this case, common sense, it it led to painful consequences, didn't it? And that's Solomon's point this morning from this passage of Scripture. We're almost through with our uh, study of the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, so I thought it'd be a good time this morning to just take a little bit of time and remind you of what kind of book Ecclesiastes is. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, I know what kind of book Ecclesiastes is. It's a depressing book. 
It's a book just filled with nothing but heavy and depressing truths. And then some more of you in here are thinking, no, it's not a depressing book. It's an honest book. Solomon is a, a realist, and he just gives us a realistic look at life under the sun. And though I would agree with the, uh, with the second group of people, that's not what I mean when I say what kind of book it is, when I ask that question. What I mean is, what kind of biblical book is it? What genre does this book fall into? Is it a book of history? No. What about a book of prophecy? Now, what kind of book is Ecclesiastes? It's a book of wisdom, isn't it? Solomon wrote three books in the Bible, and all three of those fall into the literary category of wisdom. Now, many of us, when we think of a, a book that Solomon wrote about wisdom, our minds immediately go to Proverbs, right? But Ecclesiastes is very much a book on wisdom, and we're going to, we've seen that in the second half of, of the book, and we're especially going to see that this week and next week as we talk about foolishness and wisdom. Okay, and the text for this morning, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through chapter 10, verse 7. And in our passage for today, what Solomon is going to do is he is going to pinpoint what's foolish according to God. And in our text for this morning, Solomon is going to give us some tips on how to spot a fool and how to avoid foolishness. Now, I want to warn you. I'm the mailman this morning. I don't write the mail, I just deliver the message, okay? Because I say that because Solomon is going to tell us this morning, he is going to show us that you and me, we are fools in ways. And he's going to show us that we have a tendency to follow the path of the fool and to go at life on our own and reject God's guidance and direction in our life. So my prayer for us this morning is as we, we read this text of Scripture and as we become aware of areas in our own life where we are foolish, my prayer is that we wouldn't do what we normally do, which is to kind of get puffed up and get mad and get on the defensive. I pray that we wouldn't do that, but instead we would be humbled and repentant. So let's turn to Solomon this morning as he helps us make sense of what's foolish. Here's the first principle. Number one, first characteristic of a fool is fools don't appreciate the wise. Look at verses 13 through 15. Solomon says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it. And a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Here Solomon tells us a parable about a little weak city that has a neighboring king who's powerful, who doesn't like this little city. And he decides to go against it and to attack it. And this small, weak city only had one thing going for it. Within its walls was a poor man who possessed the rare and underappreciated quality of wisdom. And Solomon says that this man, in his wisdom, helps this city and delivers this city from the hands of this powerful king. 
Now that's a great story, isn't it? But it's got a tragic end. The tragic ending is that after this man pulls off this incredible feat, he's soon forgotten. Now what Solomon is, is the point he's trying to make by telling us that parable is that wisdom, though it is to be the preferred thing, is often underappreciated, overlooked, and forgotten in our world. Look at what he says in verse 16, 17, and 18. Solomon says something different though, doesn't he? He says, but I say, wisdom is better than might. Verse 17, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Wisdom is better. Wisdom is better. You got Solomon's point? And this is not the only place he says this, is it? This is a continual theme throughout the book of Ecclesiastes and throughout the Bible. Wisdom is better. It is to be the preferred thing in our lives. Let me remind you of chapter 7, verse 19. Solomon says, Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than ten rulers who rule in a city. His point is simple. Solomon's point is simply this. Wisdom is better than having power, prominence, and influence. And remember, Solomon proved he believed this, right? When God came to Solomon, he says, whatever you ask from me, I'm going to give it to you. What does Solomon ask for? Wisdom. He proved by that request that he desired wisdom over health, wealth, power, and popularity. Now, why are we continually reminded of the fact that wisdom is better? I believe it's because it goes completely counter to the way we think. I mean, think about it. How often do you compliment someone because of the wisdom that they have? Not very often, right? I mean, we're often more impressed with the, with the exterior of a man or woman rather than what's on the inside. Don't believe me? Just walk down the magazine aisle at Walmart. Who's on the front cover of those magazines? Beautiful-looking people, right? That's what appeals to us. Someone with good-looking physical features, someone who's popular, someone who's successful by the world standard. But what about the poor, wise man or woman? Not very successful by the world standards, not much to look at, just wise. Doesn't impress us much, does it? But you know what? It impresses God. It does. Which is why we have this parable here. Which is why we see here that it's the poor wise man who overcomes the big, rich, powerful, and impressive king. Solomon's point is what we should appreciate, what we should esteem, what we should value is wisdom. Here's the second principle. Fools don't appreciate the wise. Fools don't value wisdom. Now, it's a little misprint in your uh, outline there. Just mark out the two and put value in there. Fools don't value wisdom. They don't appreciate the wise and they don't value wisdom. Look at the second half of verse 16 and into verse 17. Solomon says, The poor man's words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. 
Solomon's making a similar point that he did in the previous verses. What Solomon is telling us here is that godly wisdom, it just it goes unnoticed often, and it's, it's often overlooked. Let me ask you this. When you're watching a basketball or football game, what normally impresses you more, the way the game is played or the way the game is coached? I think for most of us, it's the way the game is played, right? If you watch a football game, you come away from there talking about that running back who rushed for 150 yards and scored three touchdowns. Or in the basketball game, that big, powerful center who scored 36 points and pulled down 18 rebounds. I mean, very few of us, unless you're a coach or a student of the game, come away and say, man, I love the way that coach set up that offense that enabled that running back to have the game that he did. Or I love the call by the coach to get the ball in and take advantage of that mismatch inside so that center could have a big game and lead his team to victory. We don't do this because wisdom is often overlooked and it's underappreciated. It goes unnoticed. Solomon says what we need to esteem is the quiet exercise of wisdom. Once again, counter to the way we think, isn't it? especially when it comes to godly wisdom. What do you appreciate most in your life? What do you think when you hear of someone saying no to a promotion at work because he or she wants to spend more time with his or her family or church? Do you think to yourself, why? That's a big promotion. With that extra money, you could, you know, you could... Buy a nicer home, nicer clothes, nicer car. Send your kids to a nicer college. Go on vacation. Is that what you say or do you say, you are a wise man or woman? Because what good is all that? If you never see your family and you're dried up spiritually because you're not a part of God's family and involved in serving in His church. When I was getting ready for full-time ministry... I, uh, I, you know, read a statistic that said that the greatest amount of criticism that comes for those in ministry normally come from close friends and family. And I, I saw that to be true, especially for those going overseas. But I saw that to be true, not in my, my own life, but, but in lives of, of some of my friends that were in ministry. Criticisms like, are you sure... You want to risk your safety and go overseas just to teach some folks about the Bible? I mean, are you sure that you want to struggle for the rest of your life financially just to be in ministry? One of the continual prayers for my girls is that they would be sold out to the Lord. I uh, know we had a dedication a, a month ago, but, but it seems as if Leslie and I are just continuing to dedicate our daughters to the Lord. And I can be honest with you when I say this, you know, one of my continual prayers is that wherever my girls are, they are serving the Lord first and foremost. I mean, even if that means them going away to be missionaries in some foreign country, I would rather them do that than for them to grow up in the same town as me, have a big house, a big family, a nice job, and not know the Lord. I want my girls to have godly wisdom over looks and success and popularity and wealth. God says appreciate and value 
godly wisdom, even though it goes against the grain of society. Value it over power, good health, success, popularity, and wealth. Number three, fools destroy the work of the wise. Fools destroy the work of the wise. Look at verse 18. Solomon says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Though Solomon is clear in this text that, that wisdom is better and is to be the preferred thing, he wants his readers to realize that one sinner destroys much good. Now when thinking about that phrase, one sinner destroys much good, who is one person that should come to our mind right away? Adam, right? Don't we know this verse to be true in Adam's life? Through his one act of disobedience came devastating consequences. That one act of disobedience, it ruined and wrecked God's perfect creation. And we're still living with those consequences today. And many of us, we witness this. We witness fools destroy the works of the wise on a daily basis. Many of you in here have seen one sinner destroy a marriage. You've seen one sinner destroy a friendship. One sinner destroy a company. One sinner destroy a church. One sinner destroy his or her life. The acts of foolishness can be devastating. Can be. If you want to display the kind of wisdom that honors God, you need to steer clear of these folks that can make a mess of your life and of your marriage and of your ministry. That's what Solomon tells us, because all it takes is one. All it takes is, is one person from the opposite sex to influence you in such a way that can, that can take away your, your purity, young people, or your marriage, husband and wife. All it takes is one compromise at work. You may have Walk the straight and narrow your entire life. For 10, 15, 20 plus years and you decide, you know, just one compromise. And no one will ever know. And that one compromise could cost you your job and your livelihood and your career. Look at what Solomon goes on to say in chapter 10, verse 1. He says, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and humor. Now Solomon, he gives us a pretty gross image here, doesn't he? And bear with me as I make it a little bit grosser, all right? Imagine you're at your favorite restaurant, and you look down and you notice a fly doing the backstroke in your soup. You call the waiter over, show it to him, and the waiter takes your spoon and fishes the fly out, wipes your spoon off, and gives it back to you. Everything all right? Do you eat it? Some of you might. And a dare, some of our kids might. Uh, not me. No, it's ruined. Solomon, he gives us this, this gross visual here to show us the negative effects of sin. Then again, it's going back to kind of what he said in verse 18. All it takes is one fool to make a mess of everything. All it takes is, is just one sinner to ruin the lives of others. Think about the consequences of one person who's unfaithful to his or her spouse. How many people are affected 
kids, friends, family, co-workers, church, just from this one person. And the reason why is because there is a communal aspect to sin. Nobody sins in isolation somewhere on an island. They don't. They sin within the context of family and friends and co-workers and church. The great lie many people tell themselves is, ah, my sin's not going to hurt anyone but myself. That's not true. That's foolish. Solomon also makes the point that though we work hard for, for good character, it can be gone like that. It's like a balloon. just takes one pin to destroy a balloon and render it useless. Same it is with us in one sin. Everything you work for, everything you strive for, one compromise in that way and it can be gone like that. That's Solomon's point. So we need to understand the consequences of our sin and need to recognize that we have to work hard to keep good character intact. Because this is the case, you and I, we don't need to just value wisdom on occasion, do we? Just sometimes and not others, but we need to, we need to value and we need to exercise godly wisdom throughout the course of our life. And one key way to do this is to watch the company we keep. We need to do this. Scripture tells us time and time again, if you want to be wise, you need to walk with the wise. That's pretty practical, isn't it? It is. Wise people are the ones who choose their friendships carefully. Am I telling you to live in a Christian bubble? No. We can't do that and, and, and make an impact for Christ in this world, but you need to be very careful that you are the one doing the influencing. I've said this time and time again. If the world were not influential, we would not be told time and time and time again to guard against it. So essential that we do that. So believers, be on guard against fools because they can destroy your life and the lives of those around you. Number four, fools are often misdirected in life. Verse 2 of chapter 10, a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, some have tried to take verse 2 and make it a political thing. Say, see, here's proof, God's a Republican. Because the wise man's on the right and the fool's on the left. And I'm sorry, that is a poor handling of the text of Scripture. Solomon's not talking about political affiliation here. So you can remove that from your list of talking points when you're arguing with your friends. This is where context comes in. What he's doing in this verse is he's giving an illustration that's symbolic, has symbolic language of how fools gravitate toward that which is wrong. In the scriptures, the right hand is the place of power, the place of favor, the place of honor, whereas the left hand represents weakness and rejection. And I'm sorry for the lefties in here, for the majority of us, though, who are right-handed, we can relate to this because we know our left hand is weaker. If you ever see me throw a baseball with my left hand, it's pathetic looking. The right hand in the Scriptures is where God is. Where is Jesus? On what side of God the Father? It's on the right hand, right? 
In Matthew 25, when Jesus said, a shepherd is going to come in the end times and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Where do the sheep go? They go to the right. The goats, they go to the left. God said through David, the psalmist, in my presence there is fullness of joy. On my right hand are there pleasures forevermore. So the right hand is the symbol of God's presence and protection and favor. So Solomon, he's just describing the walk of a, of a wise person and the walk of a fool. And he wants us, the reader, to observe the way people live. You want to know whether or not a person is truly wise or foolish? Just examine their life. Just look at the way they live. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but a lot of people, they talk a big game, don't they? But their actions prove otherwise. Their actions reveal who they really are. And that's what Solomon's getting at in verse 3. He says, even when the fools walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Fools are always giving themselves away because they're just walking around in life aimless. They're like a ship with sails and no rudder, tossed to and fro by the winds of life without the compass of wisdom to guide them. Solomon says, though at times they'll stumble onto the right path, maybe into your life or through those doors back there, they're still fools. And we see this a lot. We see people, at times they come to the church and they don't like the message being preached, so they leave, or, or uh, they come in not to grow up in Christ, but rather to bring conflict and division. And they prove by their actions that they're foolish. Solomon says here in verse 3, he's using figurative language here. He doesn't literally mean that we can watch a person the way they walk down the road and tell whether or not they're wise or a fool. Now, we might be able to, but that's not Solomon's point. He's using figurative language here. The word, the, the phrase, the path of the road is in comparison, used in comparison with the word of God. Solomon is saying, you want to tell whether or not a person is wise or foolish? Examine their life by God's word. That's what he's saying. What path are you on this morning? I know an easy way for you to find out. Line your life up with the word of God. Now, I want to warn you, you may not like what you find, but it's necessary for you to grow up in godliness. You have to be shaped by the Word of God. Number five, fools have no composure. Now this verse right here is worth you coming in this morning because uh, we all struggle with this, don't we? We all struggle with keeping our composure. So Solomon, he's speaking directly to us here in, in verse four. He says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place. For calmness will lay great offenses to rest. You ever work with someone who's a hothead? Who just gets on your case at the drop of a hat? Maybe it's a boss or a supervisor. I witnessed this the other day. I was in a store and, and I watched this, this supervisor get on to her employee right in front of me and threaten to fire him. I have to be honest, I was a little uncomfortable. I was wanting to kind of just leave my stuff there at the, at the cash register and leave. But what do we normally do when this happens to us? What's our normal response? A lot of us, 
we want to fight fire with fire, don't we? Man, you're going to talk to me that way? I'll show you. I'm going to quit in front of all these people and I'm going to gripe you out. That's what we normally want to do, don't we? Solomon tells us here, don't be quick to respond in anger and do not leave your place, but be calm, quietly stand your ground. You know what happens? According to Solomon, when we do this, this response is able to calm a tense situation and lay offenses to rest. Solomon tells us the wise man is the one who's not led by his emotions, but who goes the extra mile and turns the other cheek and at times with this response is able to pacify a great offense. And there are other verses of Scripture that teach this. Uh, for example, Solomon says in Proverbs 15:1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word does what? Stirs up anger, doesn't it? Let me encourage you today, if this is you, if you have a difficult time controlling yourself in the midst of a difficult situation, resist the urge to fight fire with fire. Look to Solomon, look to God's Word, and understand there is great wisdom in composure. There is great wisdom in a soft answer because it turns away wrath and can calm a tense situation. Sixth and final point, Sixth characteristic of wisdom. I mean, sorry, not wisdom. Foolishness. Fools are drawn to fools. Verses 5 through 7. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking around on the ground like slaves. Solomon here is talking to us about role reversals. At times, role reversal happens in life. Sometimes those who have worked hard for every penny that they have, they're won up by the lazy fool. That happens, doesn't it? Sometimes that man who's not deserving of anything is the one who gets the promotion over those who clearly deserve it. Why does this happen? There could be a number of reasons. One reason uh, Solomon gives here is because, you know, he just speaks straight up, doesn't he? This world is made up of fools who are drawn to their kind. That's what he means when he says folly is set in many high places. We elevate the foolish in this world. You know why? Because we're foolish. We elevate the foolish. We put them in high places. We give them a voice. Listen to what they have to say. Why? Because we're foolish. Don't believe me? Consider this. Who do you think the majority of people in our world are drawn to today? People like this? You got a mathematician, a doctor, a couple of scientists, pretty sharp guys, right? Who make a difference? Or are they drawn more to guys like this? Will Ferrell, Jack Black, and Larry the Cable Guy. You get the point? Think about the people we look up to in our society. Oftentimes, it's not the doctors and the teachers who are idolized in our culture. In our culture, the fool rules because this world is made up of those who are foolish. Let me ask you today, who are you drawn to? Who do you idolize? 
Kids, are you going against what your parents say just because you think that your friend's advice is better? Youth, are you more influenced by what you see on MTV than what's taught in your church by your pastor and church leaders? Adults, do you take what Oprah and Dr. Phil say on their show more seriously than what God says in his word? That's foolish, according to Solomon. That's foolish, according to God's word. You want to honor God? There's a simple answer. Don't be drawn to the fool, but be drawn to God. Look to God and look to the godly. Let me end by saying this. And remember, once again, I don't write the mail, I'm just the messenger, okay? But this is Solomon's point for us this morning. If you were to hold a, a mirror in front of your face, what you're going to find is the greatest challenge to living a God-honoring life staring right back at you. It's true. Paul understood this about himself in Romans 7. He says in verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. And then he goes on to say, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul rightly realized the biggest obstacle for him to live a God-honoring life and to live a life of godly wisdom was himself. And the same is true of us. Why this passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 we looked at today is so significant is because each and every one of us are fools by nature. We are. We naturally fail to appreciate godly wisdom, and we naturally follow the path of fools. And the reason why is because we are inherently sinful. We are. Because of Adam, we have this sin nature built into our DNA. We do. Some of you are probably thinking, well, what do we do about it? What's the solution? Do we just throw our hands up? Is there any hope whatsoever? There is, isn't there? That's what makes the gospel good news. There is hope, and it's in Christ. Though each and every one of us are, like we said, fools by nature, and though because we're in Adam, we are... We are foolish, and we live a life against God. Get this. We can be made right with Him and go on to live a life of wise, God-honoring wisdom and live a God-honoring life in Him if we will turn from our foolish ways and look to Christ and trust in Him for our salvation. Though we are sinful and foolish in Adam, get this, we are made righteous and wise in Christ. If you've never made that decision this morning, I pray that today be the day that your path changes from a path of foolishness, going at life on your own against God, to turning and trusting in Christ and following the only wise God. Solomon says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Would you pray with me?